0: Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome. So glad you guys are here. I wanted to welcome you for our ongoing series called The Pursuit, which is our study of of wisdom. And this is really part of an initiative that we have as a church where we're focusing on how can we grow uh, our confidence in God. Um, We live in a time where things are very unstable. Uh, If you look at the news for any amount of time, uh, you can be overwhelmed by A lot of conflict, you could be overwhelmed by so much unknown. And that's just looking at the news. Uh, Then you could look at your own life and you could be overwhelmed by the unsteadiness of that as well. Uh, Your thoughts about what you thought would happen or where you would be and everything you'd have to deal with may be different. So anytime, like our expectation and reality are different, uh, it can kind of be overwhelming. So, in the middle of those, what we need is an anchor to something that doesn't change. Uh, I don't know about you, but my feelings change a lot, right? Like, you ever wake up and you're, you're just kind of grumpy? Like, if you could admit that to yourself, you're like, "I'm a, I just, this is not going to be a good day. And then maybe like one morning you wake up and you're feeling like super happy and you're like, this is going to be awesome. The problem is, is like that can actually happen many times during the day and, and our feelings can be like a roller coaster. Uh, so we can't put our anchor uh, to our feelings. We can't put our anchor to our plans because how I mentioned, because... Our plans, they, they really don't go necessarily how we think because we can't control the future. We can control our decisions, but even as we make decisions, we don't exactly know how it's going to go. So what we need is an anchor to the things that are steady, and God is the steady, almighty one. Uh, he's the one that, that helps us. He's the one that allows us, like when we are like just in turmoil or upside down, bent out of shape, inside out, uh, God actually, by his help, he, he brings us back in alignment And what wisdom does, it actually encourages us to go a little bit deeper uh, with the things of God. You may have grown up going to church. Uh, You you may have had a lot of experience in church. But there's something about God's wisdom which you can never stop, like this says, the pursuit of. It's it's actually like a treasure. Uh, But it's not a treasure that's just laying out that you can grab. It's a treasure that's, that's like underneath. Maybe it's attached to some rock, and you actually have to carve it out. You have to actually work for it. And so what we've been doing as a church is looking at how do we carve out wisdom and how do we put the work in so that it can flow into our lives. And last week, I talked about one of the most important characteristics of wisdom is teachability. That's the, the attitude that you have to be coachable. I don't know if you grew, anyone grew up in sports, you love sports, you played sports. Well, uh, on any team, there's usually kids who are coachable and kids that are not. And most of the time, even if somebody has a tremendous amount of natural talent, if they're not coachable, their growth will really be hindered. Because what happens is, if you're not coachable, you're going to face situations that your natural talent and your ability won't allow you to solve. It'll be beyond you. And the same is true for life. You may have been taught really well by your parents, and you may have had a lot of experiences that helped you as well, but we still face things that we've never faced like the last two years, right? Like none of us prepared for what life would be. So what we need is this sense of, of God is, is, is going to anchor us and, and we can anchor to him. And through that, we're going to actually know what to do. And that's discernment, know how to handle things, uh, wisdom and, and how to like put it into practice. So that all sounds like great. Like how many of you would like wisdom? I think all of us, right? We, we'd all like wisdom, Today, I want to talk about what actually prevents the wanting wisdom, us raising our hand, and the wisdom actually coming into our life. I want to create kind of a little bit of the problem, if I may. I think it's actually okay to talk about the problems we face because if we don't talk about the problems, it's not real. But have you ever wanted to change something in your life and you feel like you get stuck a lot? Like you just, you hit the, the dead end of your progress, Maybe you have goals that you really long for to see happen, and it doesn't. Or you just beat yourself up, and you feel like you're at the same place again and again and again. So there's got to be more to wisdom than just aging. Because again, we could keep making the bad decisions. We could be discouraged and overwhelmed. But there's actually some things that are going on in our heart that, that work against us. And when I talk about the heart, the Scripture defines that as like the cockpit of our life. The pilot's in the cockpit, and it's a huge plane but when the pilot decides what altitude to set the plane at, he presses buttons, he does maneuvers, he pushes levers. I'm acting like I know what a pilot does. And right as I said what a pilot does, I'm like, I, don't, I know there's buttons they press, and I'm sure there's levers. But they just make small movements and the plane adjusts. Well, it's the same with us. There's things in our hearts that actually determine where we go, how we approach things. And we have to know that because there's things in our heart that that are are working against us. So what I want to do is, is talk about those things. Now, the point of facing problems is not to beat yourself up. We can spend so much time, even at church, like beating ourselves up. Like, yeah, I'm terrible. I keep doing the same things again and again. And almost like we let ourselves off the hook by recognizing that's who we are, but not asking the question, what do I do about it? So today's sermon is, what's the problem? What do we all face? And then, what do we do about it? And that's the great thing with God. God does not want us to stay burdened and overwhelmed by our struggles. He wants to help us. But to help us, oftentimes we have to do things differently, or we just keep reliving the same days. So let's dig in. Uh, if you start feeling discouraged, if you start recognizing things, just ask God to speak to you. One thing I do is as I feel discouraged or I feel down pray against it. God, I feel discouraged right now. I feel shame. I feel guilt. In the name of Jesus, I pray against that. What you'll find is God wants to speak to you, but the enemy also wants to just derail you. And so sometimes you just have to do battle within yourself. So as I talk, see if you can recognize some things, and then we'll get to what we do about it. So today's sermon is called Wisdom Blockers. There's three main things, and they're in our heart. They're in our our cockpit. Let's start. Our sad hearts, pay attention to sad, S-A-D. The three things are selfishness, arrogance, and damage. Those things are in all of our hearts, and we have them because of sin that entered the world when Adam and Eve, our spiritual grandparents, that we go way back to the beginning of the story of Scripture, they rebelled against God. And in their rebellion and in their sin, all of us now are condemned by sin because all of us are sinners. We would have made the same choice. We all want to go our own way. We like things on our own terms, if you don't think that, just drive on the freeway, and you realize there's a bunch of people that want things their own way, right? Well, that signifies some things that are going on our our hearts. So I want to break these down a little bit. The first is uh, selfishness, and that is literally a stubborn determination to get what I want. There are things that you want, and those could be goals, and there's things that I want, and those are goals. When our goals are blocked, what happens? If things that you want don't happen the way that you want, what's usually your reaction. If I'm being honest, usually it's not good. This past week, if you guys are Costco fans, any Costco fans? Yep. Thank you. Um, They brought back the samples. I mean, that's like hope is alive, you know? But it's very interesting. If you want to learn about the human heart, watch what happens when the samples come out. See, I have a strategy. I see the sample, and if they're not, you know, out yet, I kind of do a timer in my head. That's like a two-minute job. I'll circle back in about two minutes, and then hopefully it'll be ready. You know, and I I just kind of strategize. You guys don't do that? Like, you don't do that? Um, But what's very interesting is if you're waiting in line for a sample, and if it's a really good one, like pizza or like Philly cheese steak sandwich... You get really upset if all of a sudden, like, there's one person standing which represents a family, and then the person representing the family grabs a sample for every single person in the family, and there's 12 of them. And all of a sudden, you've calculated your time to come back in two minutes based on the ratio of people you thought were waiting in line, and all of a sudden, there's no sample for you. That really hurts. But it's more than hurt. It's actually kind of like frustration. Like, you can't do that. You find yourself doing that. Even at an older age, like, those aren't the rules? Dude, that's like one, one person, one sample. Well, what's going on there? For the most part, selfishness. Well, you could also say, what's well, justice? We're talking about a sample that you didn't pay for. A lot of times, it's, it's, it's just it's selfishness. And Proverbs 22, 15 describes this, uh, this word, evilith that's where the, the word selfishness and this folly comes from. It says, folly, evilith is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. If you're a parent, one of your goals and actually one of the things that you've been given from God to do is to drive selfishness out of your child. What it's saying is, is if you discipline and selfishness causes pain, like when people choose selfishness and there's pain and there's discipline that happens and there's love and affection to help them choose the right thing, if you hold that line and you... Really, train your kids so that they will not be selfish and think they're the center of the universe. Over time, they actually, that stubborn determination can, like, dissipate. It's not as strong. The same is true, though, if you don't. If you don't work on discipline, if you don't hold the line, and kids continue to think they're the center of the universe, they become adults who are still full of this stubborn determination. All of us struggle with selfishness, but when we're stubbornly determined... That's something that we actually have to, we have to work on. As we're adults, some of what happens with our selfishness is God actually spanks us. That can come through circumstances. That can come through other people. That can come through his scripture. But it's a correction. Something that happens, again, where our teachability is tested, where God wants us to really be face to face with our selfishness. So this, this folly, this evilith, this stubborn determination, it's something you really have to work on. If your parents don't neglect to work on this with your kids, you're actually setting themselves up for success. Because we know selfish people don't really make it. They don't receive blessing. People don't want to relate to them. So you want to set your kids up to to have this this success. Uh, This phrase right here, I want what I want when I want it. As adults, we don't say it usually like that, but we still have things that we think we should have that we deserve. That's in all of us, selfishness. So that's the first thing of our sad heart, selfishness. The second, arrogance. And that is feeling I deserve more or I deserve better or I deserve something sooner than I received it. It's a very strong drive in our hearts as well. And we all have it, arrogance. Uh, Ecclesiastes 9, three. pay attention. This is part of this wisdom. You see two words, I'll describe them. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun. That the same event happens to all. Uh, the writer here is talking about how Why do good things happen to to bad people? And why do bad things happen to good people? You ever wondered that? Like the people that shouldn't get ahead, get ahead. And the people that you think should, they don't. And it can be very perplexing. It can be very frustrating. And so Solomon's writing this and he says, also, and then he's, he's telling us about the human condition. Pay attention to this. Also, the hearts of the children of man. Who are the children of man? All of us. Everyone who is born in this world, that's human, are part of the children of man. And it traces back again to Adam and Eve. They're full of evil, which is the Hebrew word for raw, and madness, halelah, is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. If you've never read the book of Ecclesiastes, you don't always want to read it when you're a little discouraged. Because if you're down, it brings you down a little further. But what it is, is actually written from this perspective of like a midlife crisis and how do you sort out all the things that you don't understand about how life works. Again, it's like your expectation and reality. When those don't match, you can be very discouraged. And so Solomon's writing, but this is so important. This one verse, I'm going to talk about Ron in a moment. But arrogance is halalah. What word does that look like? Anyone? Hallelujah. When you sing a song, you're lifting up. A hallelujah to god it's like you're lifting up God well arrogance is i 'm going to put myself up like I want to be recognized, I want to be praised. all of us have this in our hearts. we want to be mentioned, we want to be thought of, we get discouraged if we feel like we're 're undepreciated we 're not recognized, but a lot of times what 's driving that is an arrogance that we have, and arrogance is uh, a little bit more than uh The the selfishness. Go to the, the next slide there. So hallelah, this hallelujah, like praise ourselves. The feeling that we are superior to others and deserve more and better. So selfishness, I want what I want when I want it. Arrogance, I deserve it. If you think you deserve something and you're entitled, a lot of problems can come. But we live in a time where the world pretty much decides they're entitled to certain things in their timing. And if those goals get blocked, you see so much conflict. So I want what I want when I want it. That's selfishness. But then I deserve it. That's arrogance. All of us struggle with this. We don't talk about it a lot. But if you want to untangle a conflict and you kind of unpack an argument, most of the time it's tied to these first two. Selfishness, we're, we're each wanting our own interests, and not the other. We want our own goals, and not someone else's. And then we think that we're right in deserving that. I mean, doesn't this pretty much summarize like all the arguments you've had? When you finally get to the point where you unpack it, it's two people that aren't seeing eye to eye because they're just seeing what they want. This is the cause of many marital conflicts, many conflicts in the family, between kids and each other, between parents and kids, at the workplace, at church. You see it selfishness, and arrogance. So that's the S and that's the A. And then the last one is, is D, damage, a willingness to hurt others to get what I want. Well, why would you get to the point that you're willing to hurt others to get what you want? In your arrogance, we all think that we deserve it. And so if you think you deserve it, you're going to do all you can to get it. In Ecclesiastes 9.3, you see that? You can go back to that slide. I don't know if it's on the next one or previously. The children of men are full of evil, and that evil is damage. So all of us are actually full of this sense that we think we deserve it and we're going to do what we want. And so damage, willingness to hurt, and then raw, that word, go to the next slide if you could, the willingness to do wrong and harm others to get what we want. I'll give you like a, a case study. Go to this playground after church and just sit back and see if you could see any S, any A, or any D. Do you think you can? Probably. You could probably even see it in the parking lot before, like, who's gonna get the good spot? I mean, it's happening all of the time. And then this last is, if I have to hurt you to get it, like, I will. Usually it comes out, I don't wanna hurt you, but if I have to, I will. Selfishness, arrogance, and damage. Now, is that in in my heart? Absolutely. I have to do battle with this every day of my life. I don't usually wake up and thinking, how can I be unselfish? And how can I be humble? And how can I help people with their goals? No, usually when I wake up, it's like, here's my goals. Here's my terms. And I really hope everyone cooperates. That is the infection of sin. God didn't intend relationships to be like that, but sin, it's infected us all. And we all fall short of his glory. And so we all have this problem. The key, though, with all of this, whether it's selfishness, arrogance, or damage, is you cannot focus on behavior to change what you do. We live in a time where it's so easy, like back to parenting, where it's like behaviorism. You want to fix the behavior, so you focus on the behavior. You tell the child to stop it, and you hope they do. And then they don't stop it. And you're like, well, I guess I'll say it louder. Stop it! They still don't. You don't change behavior by focusing on behavior. Why? Because behavior doesn't come just out of thin air. Where are these sad things? They're in our heart. Our heart drives what we do. Remember? It's the cockpit. It's determining. So what you have to do to actually focus on change is is not focus on the behavior. You focus on the behavior, you just chase the effects. You focus on the heart, you're actually focusing on the the cause. And that's what the Lord does. He actually deals with our heart. So if you've never committed your life to Christ, you're actually going to always hit a wall of not being able to change the sad heart that you have. Because in ourselves, we don't have the power to overcome our selfishness, our arrogance, or the damage. We, we need God's grace. We need His forgiveness. We need Him to wash us clean. And then and only then can we begin to take steps. And even after you commit your life to Christ, it's a battle because of what rages within us. So what I want to do is I want to shift and just give you some, some things to think about like on the perspective level, okay, to, to see things. So the first, for behavior change to last, I must... See life in situations differently. So for behavior change, for you to change, for me to change, for life to change, for our circumstances, for us to react differently to that, you have to have a perspective shift. Perspective, always think that's the lens for which I see things, how I think life works. All of us have perspective. It comes from our culture. We soak it in. Remember I talked about the sponge. We soak in perspective. What the culture says is success. We soak in perspective from our parents, what they teach us, how they react. It's not so much what they say, but it's what they do. So most of the time, if you see your parents looking out for their own interests at the expense of others, you are trained in that, and you will do the same. Now, they didn't probably think, for our parents, they didn't think, like, let's do that. Let's help our kids be selfish. But again, all of us have to deal with our our hearts. And it starts with seeing things differently. What I want to do, uh, this is from Harold Bullock, who's the author of the Seven Weeks of Wisdom book that our uh, our church is going through in their, in groups. He came up with uh, kind of the issues in life and what the usual and biblical approach is. Now, this is not in your handout, but I encourage you, just look at the contrast, maybe take a note or two of some things that you see. So the issue, like life is about, like what's life about, the usual approach, the American approach, the approach we have in California, the approach that we grew up in, probably it's about being happy. Do you see that in culture? Absolutely. As long as it makes you happy. If you hear that, they're saying that's the most important. Well, actually, the biblical approach is being faithful. Your personal happiness is not God's primary concern with your life. Did you know that? That can be like, well, that that's really depressing. But again, happiness is tied most of the time to circumstances. But remember, we don't want circumstances or feelings. We want an anchor. So if you're faithful, that is, whatever I have on my plate, I can be faithful as a dad to lead my family. I can be faithful as a pastor to lead the church. I can be faithful as a husband to love and sacrifice for my wife. I can be faithful as a friend to be kind and compassionate in my words. I can be faithful in the relationships that I have. I can be faithful with the responsibilities I have, every aspect of life. Success is determined, and life can be about my faithfulness. That's very different than happiness. Because most people, in the pursuit of being happy, drop your responsibilities to chase it. You see it again and again. And, of course, that makes sense, because it's very hard to chase your happiness if your responsibilities keep you tied down. But being faithful, God actually brings joy that can be far greater than, than any happiness. So back to happiness. Happiness is feeling up. We all want that, want to feel up. But the biblical approach to happiness is a sense of well-being and contentment. That is, I don't necessarily have everything that I want. In fact, there might be some things that I really wish were different. But I don't have them based on God's sovereignty, which is he's in control of the universe, and everything flows through his hand. Since he's in control, and everything flows from his hand, ultimately I think that he is going to make good whatever I face in this life. doesn't mean it's always good, but he will use it for my good. If you can have that sense of like a well-being and contentment, that can really change the way you react to circumstances. So that's happiness. And then how do you get it? Happiness through having and doing what I want. But the biblical approach is persevering in what God says. I'm going to keep being faithful to do what God's told me to do. And I'm not going to bail on that or or give up on that. Success is resources uh, to have it and to do it. Meaning, uh, if your pursuit is happiness, and most of the time, happiness costs money, if you have resources, then your pursuit of happiness is driven by all that you can put into it. It's like input-output. And so we spend billions of dollars on having it and doing it. That's what we want. But the biblical approach is faithfulness to what God says. Doesn't sound nearly as flashy, does it? You see the same theme it's being faithful, handling what God's given you, keeping a tight grip. Like, God, I want to do what you've said, and I want to honor you with chores. I wanna honor you with yard work. I wanna honor you with this relationship because you have given me this and you reward faithfulness. And then through work, I get resources and get fulfillment. Biblical way is honor God and provide needs. If you feel like you're not getting what's due you and if you feel like your work is not fulfilled, and this is especially especially for you, I'm gonna leave that because once I start, it's going to be a little home decor uh, experiment. But when, when you deal with work, and you, especially for you men, uh, men for the most part are wired by responsibilities and work more than women. Women, uh, the relationships usually are what uh, they, they're kind of building their life around. Now, it doesn't mean that women don't value work and it doesn't mean that men don't value relationships. It's just part of how we're wired. But you want to see a man who's frustrated, that doesn't have this, if a man feels like he's not appreciated at work or doesn't have the resources or it's not fulfilling, that is one depressed man. I've been there. I've had jobs that are such a grind that it impact my whole outlook. You know, I'm motivated, don't want to wake up, don't want to do it. And there's times where if you need to find a new job, you, you do, but you be faithful until God provides and then you're faithful to the new job. But if you realize that I can honor God with my work, even if I don't enjoy it, and I can be thankful for this work because it's providing needs, that's a big shift. That's fulfilling no matter what happens. Fulfillment comes in the moment, in the present, because God's provided it, and he's taking care of you. And then money is forgetting what I want and security. And then the biblical approach is to honor God and provide for the needs. It's actually a good thing to make money. I hope God blesses you with a lot of money. Because if God blesses you with a lot of money, and you want to honor him with it, you can make a big difference. So it's not about money, it's about what you love. If you make a lot of money, but you don't love it, and you love God more than money, you'll use that money to love God. But if you love money more than you love God and you make a lot of it, you'll love the money and God won't get the blessing from that. Like you won't honor him in that. And so this is upside down. So, you know, maybe just look at this. Happiness, success, your work, money, what you think life's about. And maybe just kind of note, what's the drive that you have? Is there one of these that you like, man, I'm, I'm on this side for sure. Maybe recognize that. And maybe... What is it that God might want to call you to on the other side? Does this make sense? I want to just give you a little snapshot. For you to change, again, you have to see this differently. You have to adopt over time more the right side column. You have to make choices that align with that. And we are not hardwired to do it. And we live in a culture that's not reinforcing it. The culture is saying, do the usual approach. Why? Because it's usual. That's what we do. So if you want to live biblically, for the most part, you're going to be doing things very differently. And that's that's not a bad thing. But you have to see life and situations differently. Now, I want to talk a little bit about values. For behavior change to last, I must also feel something else is more important than what currently seems most important. So that's a value structure shift. All of us have values. Now, if you're here at church one of the values you have is, is coming to church. People that aren't here, that are making a different choice, they may value church, but they may value something more. If you want to know what you value, you look at what you do. But then you can't fix your values by just focusing on what you do. You, you have to have that, that perspective shift. And then you have to begin to choose a different value. And I have a chart for this, and I'm going to go through this uh, briefly. Again, same, but now it's it's values. So the focus, the usual approach is me first. That's the usual. Uh, biblical is, is God first. Do you think that makes a difference in life, whether it's me or whether it's God? Absolutely. It makes a huge difference. And all of us would say that, but it shows up in different ways as we go on. So the number one priority, if it's me first, the usual approach is my desires. What's in our heart? Selfishness, arrogance, and damage. So now you can see the implication. If the focus is me first and on my desires, I want what I want what I want it. I deserve it. I don't want to hurt you, but I will to get what I want. That's actually the first two, me first and my desires first. But Scripture is God's desires, His ways The second priority, I need to get enough to get what I want. So, so money, resources, time, whatever it is. And then the biblical approach is people. Um, It's God, then it's others. And I need to treat them justly and love. Very different perspective. The number three priority, uh, the usual approach is personal peace, which basically means don't hassle me, don't bother me. You see this in home life a lot. Nobody wants to be bothered. Dads don't want to be bothered by the wives. Wives don't want to be bothered by the kids. The kids don't want to be bothered by the the family, by the parents. We all don't want to be bothered by anyone else. But personal peace doesn't come by making it the third priority in your life after you and your desires. If you make God's kingdom your third priority after God's desires and people, you make his his kingdom, you're going to see some progress. And then the fourth priority is work. So I get what I want, you can see it flows. But then the priority of work in God's ways is different. So, so I earn my way, my way and give. like that is I'm, work is not my, my meaning. it's not my purpose. It's not my identity. Work is so I can support, so I'm not mooching, I'm not being a drain on anyone. and then also I'm in a place where I can give. And then number five, family and other things. So notice where this ranks in relationship to me. This is real, guys. Now, people do not say this because you, you would never say that. It doesn't matter if you say it or not. We, we live it because that selfishness, that arrogance, and the damage is, is driving us. But the fifth priority in the kingdom is other responsibilities, whatever God has. Again, that stewardship. Number six priority, God's desire. So is the Christian way different? Yeah, it's literally flipped. It's upside down. But actually, God's ways is right side up. The issue is we come into the world and we experience in the culture, it being backwards, and we think it's normal. But God says, you know, if, if you put your desires after all these other things, after me, put your desires after people, you love them and you put them in front of you, then he's actually gonna give you this. He'll give you peace. And he'll take care of you. And wisdom is what we need for this to begin to make sense. Now, each of those charts could be like a conference working through each one, desires, priorities. We don't have that. But I wanted to give you this so you just, you at least have a framework of how this works together from like values and then perspective, how I see. So there might be something on there you're like, oh yeah, that's a little bit out of alignment. Allow God to speak to you on that. Maybe there's something you you, you might need to shift. But wisdom is concerned with getting us from the usual to the biblical. And that's why what we talked about last week, teachability is so important. Because you actually need coaching and you need help to move from one column on the left to the column on the right. Does that make sense? So a lot of info, I can't go into depth on that, but I hope that at least gives you some perspective. So, for this behavior to change, for me to change, it's how I see things, perspective, and my values. Always, perspective and values impacts your behavior. You have a child that is struggling, and they do the opposite of what you say, and you feel like it's a battle, and you're frustrated. There's things going on in their perspective. And there's things going on and what they value that as a parent you need to address. It's the same at work. If your boss is not leading well and he's taking advantage, there's some things going on and they're driving that. It. it always happens. It's predictable. You choose certain perspective and you choose certain values and life's going to go a certain way. So what God wants to do, that's what I'm going to talk about next, is how do we shift those things, which can become uh, so normal to us. Selfishness can be so normal. It's just like the air that we breathe. But but God wants to do something else. So I want to just briefly talk about that. So how to experience heart change and to grow in wisdom. That's what the pursuit of wisdom is all about. The first is this. I must walk in by the Holy Spirit to conquer wrong desires. Those wrong desires, selfishness, arrogance, damage. I need God himself to help me. The schools cannot help me. The government cannot help me. My spouse can't change me. And kids, your parents can't change you. To experience change, you need God to change you. And what happens is when you commit your life to Christ, there's something that happens where God himself, through the Holy Spirit, comes and lives inside you. You now have the resources of God. You now have him guiding you, counseling you, leading you forward, convicting you of sin. So our role, if you follow Christ, is to walk in. That is, the walk is in my daily life. I want to I do what God says. Now, if you're not a Christian, you've never decided to commit your life to Christ, the reason I say you can't change is because the Holy Spirit's not in you. So what you need to do is you, you have to surrender your life to Him. I give you my heart. I give you the thing that drives me, my perspective and values. I want you to change me. I want you to live inside me. I want you to determine the the paths, and I want to walk in that, and then the Holy Spirit helps you. So for you to change, you can't change without God. You come to God, you surrender to God, and then He changes you from the inside out. We don't have the resources or the power to change by ourselves. So I must walk in by the Holy Spirit to conquer wrong desires. This is what the Scriptures say in Galatians 5. It says, but I say, walk by the Spirit... And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul is writing this and he's talking about the struggle. Now, the struggle of sin is real. And we all can identify that. It's, you know, like, and Paul talks about this too. He's a church starter, big part of just the catalyst of the Christian movement. He wrote a lot of letters to churches to encourage them in different regions. And one of the things he noted is just how it seems like the things that he wants to do, he doesn't do. And the things that he doesn't do, he keeps doing. Do you fa- face that and you're like, I want to change? but I do the same things against it every time. And the people in our life, they they all experience it. So what we're saying is you can get so overwhelmed by the flesh, but the only way to change again is, is by the Holy Spirit. It's not by trying harder or being better. The world system, you're first. So how do you solve it? You. You can't. So our world system leads us frustrated because it doesn't work. So I want to just give a few practical ways to walk by the Spirit. This is one of those areas, if you've grown up in church... You may have heard like walk in the spirit and you're like, I have no idea what that means. If you're old school in church, they call it the Holy Ghost. And you're even like, I don't even want to know if I know what that means. But it's how do I cooperate with God in my daily life? So that he, he speaks to me. He guides me. He gives me resources. Well, what the scriptures say is it's always through faith. And so you have to exercise faith to walk in the spirit. And that is... Um, I'm going to trust God to help me do the things that he's asked me to do. I'm not going to use my own measure or the worldly measure of whether it will work out. I'm going to do what God says. And I'm going to do it with with faith that he will, will help me as I make decisions to not put me first, but to put God first, as I make decisions to use my money in a way to put God first instead of me first. I need God's help as I make a decision to put others first instead of me first. As you begin to do that, it chips away at the selfishness. It chips away at the arrogance. It chips away at the damage that we all have. So to exercise faith, it means to actually step out to obey God. I want to encourage you. I know that there are some people in here that God's calling you to do something, and you know he wants you to do it, and you you haven't yet. If God is telling you to do something and you have not done it, there's like a kink in the resources of the Holy Spirit. You're not keeping in step. You're stumbling over yourself. So faith is not just knowing God is there and wants me to do things. Faith is, I know he wants me to do this thing, and I'm going to step out to obey him. You take that step. Another is just to keep in step in faith is to endure through difficult times. I know there are some of you here who are enduring a lot of difficulty. I know some of you here who've experienced a tremendous amount of pain. Our role as a church is not to gloss over the losses or the pain or the hurt. But our role as a church is to encourage each other to endure, my God will take care of me. He will lead me. He will help me and he will use the people of God to encourage me. You step out of faith in obedience and you endure the hard times. And then finally, to walk in the Spirit means that you pray. With what you face in your life, you pray and ask God. Prayer is the reminder that we can depend and call on God in the middle of things. If you don't pray much, I just encourage you, that might be the first thing to keep in step of the Spirit. If you face like a stress, like, your boss comes to you at work and tells you you need to do something or changes something, and you don't see eye to eye, and you're frustrated, we begin to run scenarios. We begin to think of who we all could call to tell. But instead, first, pray, God, I'm confused. I feel uh, stuck. I feel like I don't know what to do. Will you help me right now? I want to keep in step with your ways in this situation. So all of those help us keep in step and allow the resources of wisdom and all the resources of God to grow us. But it doesn't stop there. The second is this. God's perspective is crucial. Again, the perspective, how we see things, Changes what we do. But we have to work to keep getting God's perspective in our life. I want to read a scripture from two different translations, but this is a prayer from, uh, from Paul in Colossians, but I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 3 first. Uh, For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. So the usual approach makes a lot of sense on both those charts, right? Me first, that makes sense. That's the world we live in. What this scripture is saying is folly right there is silly. The wisdom of this world literally makes no sense to God. It's silly. You don't want to build a life on what's silly from God's eyes. There's going to be a lot of damage that comes from that. So Colossians 1 is another prayer from Paul, which I read from Galatians. This is written to another church. Notice what he prays really and desires for these new Christians. And he says, and so from the day we heard We have not ceased to pray for you. What he had heard in chapter one, he's describing that the work of God is alive and well in them. And he's encouraged. He sees them growing and wrestling. And he's encouraged by that. And so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God of God. So notice God's perspective, the knowledge of God here, filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual, what's that word? Wisdom and understanding. So to be filled with that wisdom, you need His perspective. Here's a different translation. This is in Colossians, in the Phillips translation. It says, so you understand that since we heard about you, we have never missed you in our prayers. Notice the highlight. We are asking God that you may see things, as it were, from his point of view. If you want wisdom and you want to pursue it, one of the things you want to pray is, God, help me to see things from your point of view. That could greatly help alleviate some trouble. You don't want to just see it from your point of view. You don't want to see it from the New York Times bestseller author's point of view. You don't want to see it from the leaders of our country's point of view, social media's point of view, your parents' point of view. You want to see it from God's point of view. That should be our prayer as a church. It's crucial. And so one thing things you want to do is, is what Paul's saying is like, I'm praying for this. So I want to encourage you, as I said, to focus on prayer. That's a key that you keep in set with the Spirit. But pray. If you're married, pray for your spouse that they will grow in the knowledge of and understanding of God. Pray that for them every day. Pray that for your kids, that they will grow in the knowledge and the wisdom of the ways of God. Pray that for our church. Pray that for me. Pray that for the leaders of our community. Pray that for our president. They may grow in the wisdom and knowledge of God. And as that happens, you can begin to see if they choose to keep in step of the Spirit, you can begin to see things differently from God's point of view. It is crucial. Well, what this means is we have to aggressively, for to see things from God's point of view, we have to aggressively like read the Scriptures for ourselves. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But another way that we grow in wisdom is we have to aggressively be around people that see things from God's point of view. If you are around people that see things from God's point of view, they help you to see things from God's point of view. Has somebody ever told you something that they do and you were challenged by it because you're like, that's not what I do? And you can walk away like, well, they're special. We can say that for a lot of people, they're special. They're they're crazy, they're different. But could it be that God is using them to challenge you to see things from his point of view if they're seeing things from his point of view? And so the community of the church, Sunday mornings, group life, serving, giving, initiating with each other, part of what we're commanded to do is help each other see things from God's point of view, not from our own agenda, from what we gain or lose by what they do, but from God's viewpoint. That's actually what, how we're supposed to be encouraging. That's how we, we gather and we, we want to learn. want to humbly say, God, will you teach me today as I go to church? Will you show me something that I can change or I need to change? Being humble, being being teachable. And then finally, go to the next screen there. To experience heart change and a growing wisdom, I need to begin living out scriptures so it becomes true and real. I think I've talked about true and real before. Very helpful paradigm for me that I learned uh, many years ago. True and real, the difference is, is from knowledge to like experience. So for instance, um, you know, gravity is true, right? Gravity's true. What's also true is I'm, I'm 41 years old. That's true. Sometimes I forget that that's true. When it becomes real is if I were to do a victory leap off of this stage. Say, so like, gravity is true. And then I land, and my ankles crunch, and my knees buckle, and my lower back is it. It's real. What it means is it's not just the knowledge but I have an experience with that knowledge that changes what I do. Therefore, gravity is true, but it's also real. If I violate it, I am going to be in a world of hurt. Now, some of you, it's true that you're younger and you're limber. You could jump off here like with no problem. But it's seeing, here's what God is trying to teach me, and it's not just to fill my knowledge so I know facts. It's that I will live differently. I'll make a different decision. That's what wisdom is. You have to see the Scriptures not as just facts, but as a different way of living. And so in closing, uh, if you have a program, go ahead and open that out, or open that up, I should say. And there's an extra handout that has the heart attitudes on that. Can you, can you see that? I want to introduce these because... Well, not introduce them. I've talked about them a lot. But the, the thing about Scriptures is that it's very different. And so these, these heart attitudes are actually summary of the one another's from the New Testament. Anytime somebody says to love one another, serve one another, all of these things are kind of summarized in these seven statements. These heart attitudes are very important to us here at Ridgeview. Uh, This is what forms our culture. This is the measure of our relationships and participation in church. We always want to look back like, are we doing these as people? Are we doing these as leaders? Are we doing these in our group? Are we doing these on Sundays as we volunteer? Like, we always want to look through this lens. And you'll see those on there. There's seven. But these seven are designed, as we put those into practice, for us to move away from the selfishness, the arrogance, and the damage. Because for you, to start with heart attitude number one, and for me to begin there by putting the goals and interests of others above my own, you're living the biblical approach to relationships. That's what love is. It's sacrifice. It's sacrifice. So what I want to encourage you to do is not just look at another handout with a lot of information, but this week, take some time to focus on what the Scriptures say. There's the heart attitude and there's a Scripture connected to it. Focus on what the Scripture says and memorize that heart attitude and memorize that Scripture. Could you do that? I think you could do it. I think I could do it. But what would it take if if I began to see things true and real? And then not just memorize it, but begin to ask a prayer of God. God, will you help me to put one of these into practice? If you do, you're aligning yourselves with the biblical approach. So right now, take a look. I'm going to give you like 10 seconds. Take a look at that list. There's seven. Pick the one that stands out to you. Like I need to take a step towards this one. Pick that and put a circle or a star by it. So this is gonna lead into next, some next steps which are, are tied to this. So, But let's walk through some next steps. Again, filled with the knowledge of God and his wisdom as we put it into to practice. So the next steps is how we do this. So the first one, next step that you can take this week is to ask God to show you any sad in your heart and confess it. One of the ways that you keep in step with the Spirit is if you do something that's selfish and you wrong somebody, Admit that sin, confess it to God, confess it to that person, and God will do a work in you. This past week, God did that for me. I said something that was not kind on Thursday to a couple people. It wasn't appropriate. It wasn't grace-filled speech, which I'm commanded to do. And God just said, like, you, you blew it. And it was, it was selfish. It was just a joke that I said, but it wasn't appropriate. God's like, you you know, you need to make that right. It's like, oh, God, please, no. But God was telling me, there's sad in your heart and you need to deal with it. So I had to make it right. I had to ask for forgiveness. But when I do that, and when you do that, God does a work because it's real. Dysfunction is acting like things are normal and they're not. And so God will do that work. So that's the first ask God to show you any sad in your heart and confess it. The second, Pick a hard attitude to put into practice over the next two weeks. So maybe that one you identified, memorize that one. Memorize the scripture and ask God to give you an opportunity to put into practice. If you do, again, you're aligning yourself up with the biblical view of things. And that can help you get some traction. And then the third is this, a daily surrender to God through prayer this week. I want to encourage you, when you get up out of bed and your feet hit the floor, And if you're older and gravity is real, like I've said, it may take you a little bit to like, ooh, there's new pops I've heard this morning. But say a prayer of daily surrender. And so it could look something like this. You Put that on there. God, I give you my day-to-day. I surrender to you. Uh, Please help me to see things as you see them and to value the things that you value. Uh, When I mess up, please show me and help me to clean up as quick as possible. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray, amen. So each day, make that your prayer. God, help me to see things as you see them. Help me to value the things that you value. When I mess up, show me so I can clean up, so I can make it right, and help me to rely on your power. That's my prayer for us as a church. That's my prayer for you. As we do this, keep in step with the Spirit. Allow God's scriptures to speak to us aggressively participate in the church and put things into practice, we can change and wisdom can grow. So we're gonna sing a song back to God in a moment. And I pray, pray that we'll have that time of surrender as we wrap up our service. Thank you guys.